That message is really the heartbeat of Christianity, isn't it? God is so incredibly good. And this morning we're going to take some moments just to reflect on that truth you just heard. Do we think often enough of this incredible fact that in spite of our iniquities, our sin, God never deals with us as our sins deserve. His mercies are new every morning, and we can come here bent and beat up by a week where we've broken every promise we ever made to the Lord, where we feel, how could he ever love me? How can I come and stand before him? And here he is this morning again with his arms wide open saying, I forgive you. Let's start again. That's really the core value of the gospel. It's the core value of this church, this mercy that we get from God. And then today we're going to be uh, reminded that not only are we here to receive it, but once we receive it, we're called to give it because it's needed so desperately out there. Let's look at this beatitude from Jesus and see what the message might be for us individually today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, you are good. Your mercy is, is really beyond our comprehension. Your patience with us goes beyond anything we can imagine. <clears throat> Thank you for being you. Thank you that we can come here and we don't have to pretend we're anything but what we are, sinners saved by grace and continually saved week after week when we fail you so badly. Give us an insight anew today of your grace and give us power to give that to people in our lives who need it. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> A very touching happening occurred several weeks after the Olympic bombing. If you recall, a Mr. Jewell was one of the highly publicized suspects who since has never been accused or arrested, but was definitely highlighted as the guy who might have perpetrated the crime. One day, I, during that whole uh, process, I happened to hear Mr. Jewell's mother on the news. And she was giving a very emotional appeal to President Clinton to have mercy on her son, feeling he had been harassed and unjustly accused. And since that time, we found that she's been right since all um, investigation of Mr. Jewell has ceased. But when I heard her, her plea, it reminded me of that prophet Habakkuk, of that little known guy in the Old Testament with a funny name, but he did have one phrase that's key to what we're thinking about today. He was praying for Israel and was trying to intercede for the judgment that was coming to Israel for their sin. And he made this plea, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. I wonder how many times we have been in front of God knowing we deserve his wrath and say, God, I know what I deserve, but don't give me what I deserve. Give me mercy. That's what the gospel is all about. Because Habakkuk really didn't know Jesus yet. And he didn't know for sure if God would give mercy instead of wrath. We Christians know where God's wrath went. It went to the cross of Jesus, so we don't have to experience it. And I think today it's very important for us to then take a new look at the mercy that God has lavished on us. Mr. Jerry Sitzer tells of an article in the Los Angeles Times about a fraternity prank. Maybe you remember it years ago. A, a few fraternity members kidnapped a, uh, a pledge and took him to a kind of a remote spot in the middle of the night. It was two o'clock in the morning. They left him only with his shorts on and a quarter and blindfolded. When he got the blindfold off, he, for reasons unknown, became very disoriented, didn't realize he was near a cliff right next to the ocean, fell to his death. 
The parents obviously were extremely agitated, upset, and uh, asked the district attorney to investigate, which he did, and they wanted these people prosecuted. Seemed just. But the district attorney, after investigation, decided not to prosecute. And his decision was a gift of mercy. And in our text today, Jesus is telling us words that in today's world can really only be understood, I believe, through the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's very counterculture, as most of the Beatitudes are, where we are so oriented to rights and justice and not mercy. Let's study his words. First, it would be important for us to have a, a reminder of a, diction, a dictionary definition of mercy. It's, it's a beautiful one. Mercy is refraining from harming or punishing persons who are in one's power and who deserve punishment. Mercy is refraining from harming or punishing persons who are in one's power and who deserve punishment. In Titus, we read this. But when, after he gave this long list of charges that we're all guilty of, this horrible list of sins, and such were some of us, then he says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He let us off the hook, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's our story. That's the good news of the gospel. God had mercy on us rather than wrath. And we never quite get over that once we meet Jesus. It's always amazing grace. In fact, you know, the longer I live, I find one thing very uh, accurately happening to me. The longer I live, I am increasingly aware of my personal need for God's mercy. It, it seems that rather than getting more holy and feeling that I, I'm needing less, I'm needing more because I have more of an insight into my heart and into my failures with God. And that mercy keeps growing. And then, almost like an involuntary reaction, I find the older I get, I want to give more mercy. I was telling the guys in the sacristy this morning, I can remember a time when I was up so tight, as a on-fire Christian quote, that if a person did not use the Schofield Reference Edition Bible as their Bible, I knew they weren't a Christian. I was that judgmental. I mean that. I, I did that when I was about 22. You know, I've changed a little. I'm in understanding that I receive so much mercy from God that without any effort on my part, I'm much more tolerant, much more understanding. I give people a lot more lenient uh, rope than I used to. Why? Because I need it. You see, you need to understand, mercy is more than tolerating someone we don't like. It's it's, it's more than tolerating someone who has hurt us. Mercy is that gift that Jesus gives the believer as we journey with him, where we can get inside another person's skin. We begin to see with their eyes, to feel pain as they're feeling it. And more, more important, we go into that next step of not just looking at what we don't like about that person, condemning their behavior. We begin to ask why they are who they are, why they do what they do. And when we get into the depths of why, it falls into that old truth, to know all is to forgive all. And it makes us like Jesus, merciful rather than judgmental. 
loving rather than uptight. Now, this is hard for some of us to understand whenever we preach on this subject, but I'll save you writing a letter. Listen carefully. This does not mean that we don't have concepts of right and wrong. It does not mean we condone all behavior in people. It does mean we refuse to view them as enemies or that we make ourselves the ones who put the punishment on them. It is not our job to punish people for their conduct. Even people whose behavior offends every idea of truth and decency we hold. If even those people who hurt us, reject us, slander us. It's not our job to make them pay. L let me give you just an illustration of how this works. It's, it's a light one, but maybe it's easier to understand it. I don't know about you, but I've had some trouble when I see uh, this new logo on cars. Not too new, but it's the one with Darwin fish, you know. The fish has legs and it says Darwin, and it's an answer to the Christian fish that Christians put on their car. And I, when someone has that on their car, I automatically say, gee, why are you so angry at Christians? Why do you do that? Is that really necessary? If you have a fish on your car with Darwin on it, forgive me, because it's not really personal. Anyway, if you read in the Mercury News, uh, a professor at Stanford put one on her car. And she said the only reason she did it was that she thought it was cute. Twice she's had that ri uh, fish ripped off, thrown in her front seat. And her conclusion was, Christians are very unmerciful to people who disagree with them. Seems like a small thing. But now this w bumper war is continuing because, if you've noticed, there's a new one that has the fish upside down, dead, and it says Darwin is dead and he's not coming back. And then the Christian fish coming and eating the Darwin fish saying survival of the fittest. Um, <laughs> it's light, but you know, let me ask you the question. Do you think anyone who has the Darwin fish on their car is being reached by these, uh, this little bumper war? No. Was this Stanford professor impressed with conservative Christians because they felt so strongly about their faith they ripped off the fish and put it on her front seat? No. It, it's funny until we get into the real issues of mercy. Today, it's absolutely vital if we're going to be contagious Christians in our world and accurately represent Jesus that we inject mercy into our relationships because it's the only hope of bridging the ever-widening gaps in our diverse culture. And our culture is literally breaking apart by people who have moral stands here and ethnic stands here. And we're a bunch of groups who are just throwing rocks at each other, divided. And that's not God's plan. I think many Christians, rather than being contagious, are being absolutely obnoxious by our lack of love, by our judgment, by our rejecting people, by our ripping fish off cars. Any thinking person is concerned about the mistrust and the hatred and the violence growing in our society. And I would offer you that mercy is the only supernatural gift given to us by Jesus that can help us do something about it. It's mercy that enables us to separate persons from their behavior from their political and moral views and to accept them as persons who matter to God. I, I need to say, and I'll say it during this election year particularly, in this church, there is room on any pew for people who have any kind of moral stand on either side of the issues to sit and worship the same God. 
And not in this church will we be saying, if you don't believe this particular moral issue, you couldn't be a Christian and you're not welcome here. If you have this lifestyle, you are not welcome here. If you've had this sin in your life, you're not welcome here. That's not Jesus talking and it won't be said here. This is the place that represents Jesus who died for all people, sinners like you and me. And we saw the list in the text today. Anytime we point our finger, we've got to point it at ourselves. We were washed, we were sanctified, but we were right with anybody else we're judging in this society. Now again, this doesn't mean, mercy doesn't mean we lack convictions of right and wrong. That's not what we're saying. Mercy merely monitors and controls how we communicate our convictions in a way that won't destroy relationships with those people with whom we disagree and drive them away from Jesus. Mercy means we do far more praying for people and understand that God does the changing and we stop judging and confronting and pressuring and manipulating thinking we can change people. We cannot. You will never change one person in your life and neither will I. We can pray for them and God will, but we can love them and we can accept them and we can bring them to the same kind of savior we found, the healing environment where they might find what we have found, help in the midst of their need. But if we confront them in saying what I believe is right and what you believe is wrong, that never reaches anybody. And this leads us to a second truth about mercy. Jesus relates giving mercy to receiving mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Our text says, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. When I bring up the bit of who sits in our pews, do you realize the only reason you can sit here as a child of God is because of mercy? You and I are no more worthy to be in this place than any person out there anywhere in the world. It's his mercy, his amazing grace, that makes it possible that we met Jesus and we're, we know we're welcome here in spite of who we are and what we've done. The most incredible thing about our relationship with God is that while we were yet sinners, his enemies, Jesus died for us. And he died for us not after we shaped up and became righteous. He died for us while we were sinners. And he continues to love us even after we know him and we continue sinning. I think that's the most incredible, incomprehensible truth in the universe. But here's the point. Because God gives us this gift of mercy, it should be natural for a believer to be merciful to others and this is what's breaking my heart. I think in America today, as I look at the conservative wing of the church of which I'm a part, I, I see a lack of mercy. Listen to what Jesus says about it. He told a parable about a man who owed his creditor, a creditor an amount so great it would be impossible to ever repay. It was like our national debt. Rather than throw him in jail, his creditor mercifully forgave him his debt. That's all he could do. He just let him off because he couldn't do anything to pay him. But amazingly, that same man demanded a debtor pay him a small debt of $20. And rather than, when the guy couldn't pay, rather than extend mercy, the guy had him thrown in jail. Then when the man's former creditor heard about his lack of mercy, he became angry and threw him in prison. Now there's a really serious truth here. Jesus is telling us how God feels when once we who are believers have received his mercy, and then we hesitate to give it to someone else. 
if they hurt us or if we feel they have misbehaved or they're offending God and we judge them rather than give them mercy. You see, the facts are, and here's where it gets really serious. If we are unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful to the failures and sins of others, it probably means we've never stood before Jesus helpless, exposed, and needing his mercy. Because once you've been there, you can never get over it. And the only person who can't give mercy is one who's probably never truly repented to God. So, according to the parable, maybe we won't even get to heaven if you can't give mercy. It's not that giving mercy is the ticket to heaven. It's just that if you don't give it, somehow you've probably missed it yourself. And that's why it's so important. As our text states, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Paul talks in Colossians about Jesus taking our sins and nailing them to the cross. That's a beautiful metaphor. In those times, a criminal um, who was charged had all the charges listed on a piece of paper. And if a nail was driven through that paper, it showed the charges had either been dropped or paid. And Paul picks up on that metaphor and he says, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all charges against us, everything you've ever done or will do, was paid in full. Now, here's a question in our judgmental attitudes. If Jesus paid for all sins on the cross, why do we still seek to make people pay for what we consider to be their sins? Jesus paid it all, or he didn't. And if he didn't, we cheap cheapened his sacrifice. Mercy rooted in Christ's sacrifice, then, can break this cycle today of judgment and retaliation and hatred and intolerance Think what that spirit could do in the Mideast. What else could ever get over thousands of years of having wounded each other so bad? What else can heal the social diseases in our country than a force that will come and stop retaliation and stop wanting an eye for an eye? You see, it's mercy that enables us to relate to people who disagree with us, to people whom we might consider to be sinners by our standards, to people who hold views and engage in lifestyles we can't possibly believe will lead them anywhere except to God's judgment, to people who have hurt us deeply. It's God's job to change them. It's our job to give them mercy and understanding so they can come and find the same bread in Jesus Christ that we have that heals them. The Chronicle told of an African-American woman, Constance Mitchell, whose son, along with five others, was shot to death by a white man on a killing rampage. Shortly before his execution, she made a plea with the officials that, this, that his life should be spared. When asked why she did it, she said, I did it for my sake. It's the only way you can get healed. Forgiveness isn't letting people off the hook by saying, it just merely says, I'm not going to judge you now by the hurt you did me in the past. And then the article goes on to discuss how remarkable was her gift of mercy, not only for the killing, but the fact that the killer was white. You see, mercy can build bridges across these impossible chasms in our land today. And if it's going to start anywhere, it can start with us. Our theme for our church family this year is becoming contagious Christians. I would suggest that giving mercy, compassion, loving without demanding people become like us makes our church a place where all are welcome regardless of their broken, bent conditions, regardless of their past sins. It opens the door for people to be exposed to the same love and mercy from Jesus that we found, who otherwise might be shut out if we continue to rip the fish off their cars. 
Our source of mercy for others is rooted in our personal need, you see, for mercy. And when we understand that this sermon makes sense, Lamentations puts it best. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his mercy never fails. It's new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have you ever gone to bed at night feeling like a total loser when it comes to God? And then you wake up in the morning and you're reminded of this truth, that God's mercies are brand new today, and I can forget yesterday, and I get a new beginning. I don't deserve it, but I do. That's the greatest feeling in the world. I, I couldn't survive without it. The psalmist, in a time of deep personal awareness of sin, articulates a prayer that I, I, I pray all the time. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me, because if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. That's the gospel. That's the kind of message you and I need to reflect to today's world. Merciful people realize God gives more grace than most of us ever imagine. And if God allows us with our sins, our failures, our total unworthiness to call him Father, shouldn't we give that same mercy to others? As Max Lucado writes so beautifully, one thing's for sure, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at the folks we see. And some of them will be surprised when they see us. I really believe that. You see, when we become merciful, we begin to see persons with the same perspective we see ourselves, forgiven sinners, imperfect, but incredibly loved of God. We identify with the tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So as you go home, I want to give you a challenge. Just how merciful are we? This year, we're challenging you to become a contagious Christian. I can't think of a better way to begin than to ask a question, who in my world today needs my gift of mercy? From whom am I withholding forgiveness? For whom am I keeping a long list of the past and I keep throwing it up to them? Against whom do I feel such anger and a sense of revenge that I, I, it's just eating me up inside? Pray the Holy Spirit will give you that capacity to give that person the mercy you continually receive and need from Jesus. To pray that God will do the changing of that person and he'll equip you to do the loving and the caring of that person. James gives this warning, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the lifestyle I covet for us. Give mercy as you've received it, and you'll become the aroma of Christ. You'll become a contagious Christian, not an obnoxious Christian. And that's what the world needs. That's why Jesus told us, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for an hour in which we can reflect on you. We spend a lifetime trying to understand your kind of love. So infinite, so patient, so undeserved. Thank you for being you. Thank you that we can now share that love with the world and with people who need it so desperately. In Jesus' name, amen.